We are live. Great. Um, welcome, everyone, to Connected Learning TV. This is the first of our four-part March 2016 series titled Youth-Led Inquiry, Connection, and Action, Redesigning Civic Education in the Digital Age. Um, this webinar and this series of webinars um, over the course of March were organized by members of the Educating for Participatory Politics project, which is the folks that are on um, today, and also the Council of Youth Research. And um, folks from that team will be on the next webinar um, next week, as well as the one at the end of the month. If you're watching this, please take a moment to share it with your networks. And I'm your host. My name is Erica Hodgen, and I'm the Associate Director of the Civic Engagement Research Group at Mills College. And today I'm talking with Youngwon Choi and Alan Linton, Sangeeta Shrestova, and Adam Strom about how to support educators in and out of schools to promote equitable and impactful youth, civic, and political engagement. So we'll be talking together over the course of the hour about how to support educators to educate for participatory politics. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, how we're framing that and what that means for educators during our time together. So before we dive into our conversation, I wanted to go over a couple of quick details. So for those of you that are watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions through either the Twitter hashtags um, connected learning and um, the hashtag digital civics or the Q&A feature so that you should see within the video player itself and we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout so please add them as we um, talk um, and this webinar is being co-streamed at the National Writing Projects EducatorInnovator.org and it's also um, part of programming related to letters to the next president 2.0 which engages and connects young people ages 13 to 18 as they research, write, and make media to voice their opinions on issues that matter to them in the coming election. So this webinar will be part of those resources, and I encourage you to check out that site, and it's letters to, and that's the number two, president.org, where you can find lots of other resources and opportunities related to the election, writing, and also digital literacies. So um, before we begin and do introductions of everyone who's um, with me today, I first wanted to give an overview of our project. So we are all part of a project called Educating for Participatory Politics. And this is an action project that is based out of the MacArthur Research Network on Youth and Participatory Politics. The research network has been um, together for the past six years studying youth, civic, and political development and engagement in the digital age. And so these different research teams have been really looking at what does it mean to, how are youth engaging in the digital age, and what does it mean to really think about supporting young people with the opportunities as well as some of the challenges and risks. So drawing on that research, our project has been working with educators and also um, trying to understand how the research connects to practice. So we have been working together over the last um, two years to um, frame, to develop a framework that really outlines the core practices of participatory politics and also to develop educational resources, whether that's curriculum or workshops um, 
or standalone lessons to be able to articulate this new vision of civic education in this changing landscape. So we have been piloting some of these materials in the field with educators, learning a lot, and also um, then trying to sort of share out what we've learned. So we're excited to talk with you today about some of those things that we've learned. So um, in order to give a kind of framework of these practices and participatory politics, I want to just briefly um, share with you that the core practices that we've been focusing are investigation. And so by investigation, we've been thinking with educators about how do young people in the digital age um, learn about social and political issues that matter to them? How do they do research um, themselves and how do they access information about issues that they care about? We also have been thinking about the practice of dialogue and feedback. So how do um, young people engage in dialogue about issues that they care about? How do they share their voice? How do they give feedback to leaders, um, to institutions? And how do they engage in sort of broader conversations, not only with their peers, but also with um, adults and others in the community? We've also been thinking about production. How do young people um, produce not only media? How do they produce ideas? How do they produce their own information? And then we've also been thinking about circulation. So how do they circulate um, that media and those ideas and perspectives in order to have their voices heard? And how do they circulate information that they've accessed in the sort of array of information that's out there? And then finally, how um, do young people think about mobilization? And how can we prepare young people for mobilization? And so how do they not only mobilize others to get involved in causes that they feel are important, but also how do they respond to people trying to mobilize them? How do they understand what those causes are, what the purpose is, what strategies make sense, and reflect on um, the best strategies to use in the digital age. So we have been, in thinking about those practices, we've developed an online collection for educators. And you'll see that link in a lot of the information about our webinar today, but I'll also just tell you quickly how to access all of that information. So if you go to the YPP Research Network website, which is ypp.dmlcentral.net, and then click on educators at the top of the screen, you'll see that we have an outline of each of those practices um, and how they have always been important to civic and political life, but what's maybe different um, in the digital age and what are the considerations for educators. And then we also have curriculum and lesson plans and resources and um, some blogs written by our team members and also blogs written by educators. So there's a lot of resources there. We're super excited to launch um, this website. And we'll be talking a little bit about, um, when we're in our conversation today, some of what we're talking about will be highlighted on that site if you want to look at it later. So now I'd like to give everyone a chance to introduce themselves. And um, I'd like to ask everyone to briefly describe your EPP project to give people a little bit of context. And then if you can also um, kick the conversation off by telling us something that has been most you about working with educators to think about um, civic learning opportunities in the digital age. So let's go ahead and start with um, Young Wan Choi, if you can start us off. Sure. Thanks, Erica. And uh, thanks for setting the container, the frame for this conversation. I'm really excited to be here. 
Uh, I'll keep it pretty brief because I'm really interested in the dialogue, speaking of dialogue and feedback. Um, so as Erica said, my name is Young Wan Choi. I lead the Educating for Democracy in the Digital Age initiative uh, in Oakland, California. And we're a district-wide initiative with the goal of addressing the civic empowerment gap, um, primarily thinking about low-income students of color and their access to empowering civic learning opportunities, um, trying to figure out how we can more equitably distribute those opportunities for those students. And this approach is something that we've often described as a hybrid approach. And so we have both a, uh, an approach that, that is about pushing the civic priorities at the district level and trying to align with district um, with existing uh, district priorities in order to advance civics. And then we also support and program a lot of um, teacher professional learning around the very practices that Erica was mentioning, uh, investigation, dialogue and feedback, mobilization, uh, production and circulation. And so our professional learning um, brings teachers together around uh, these types of practices in order to um, make changes to curriculum that uh, we hope will be more empowering and engaging for students. Uh, and one thing I'll, I'll say about what I found really compelling is uh, what I'm always trying to think about how does teaching as a practice become less about practice or I should say the learning for students, how does it become less about practice and more about and, and more more game time experiences for students? And so if you can imagine the analogy of being a sports player and, and essentially being told, well, you never get to play in a game until you graduate from high school. You have to practice for the next 13 years. I don't think too many uh, athletes would make it through 13 years of practice to, to finally get to game time, but in, in essence that's what we're asking our students to do all the time is, well, just practice writing, practice writing, practice writing, or you know, practice reading, and eventually you'll, ha you'll get to use it for something meaningful. Um, but what's exciting about the digital age, and we've seen this in, in a number of cases with our teachers, is that uh, it affords them the opportunity to bring their students into contact with real audiences for their work right here and now. And so they have that game time experience or that, that sense of high stakes, um, real audience uh, for what they're trying to do, their writing or, or, or their ideas um, is, uh, is available to them um, because of the digital age bringing students in, co in contact so easily with authentic audience. And so that to me has been where I've seen students really light up, where I've seen teachers really report that the practices that they're trying to engage um, their students in really seem to make sense and, and, and are worth all the time and energy that go into uh, making those possible for them in the classroom. Thank you, Yongwan. Let's um, go to Adam Strom next. If I can only unmute myself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Erica, and thanks, Yongwan. This is actually a great conversation, and I one of the things I think you'll you'll get is just the variety of ways that people started to implement some of the ideas that you're that you all were talking about. So I'm going to start with I think two tensions that were at the top of our project. I'm from Facing History and Ourselves and we did a project with uh, the Good Participation Team at Project Zero at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Working, We did a small pilot. We worked with two different public schools in Chicago because we really wanted to see what it would look like when people started implementing deeply material. So what I'll, what I'll do is kind of give you all a quick overview, but I, but I do want to start with these tensions, which was, I think one of the tensions up top is thinking about the relationship between kind of teaching and kind of making young people aware of these best practices, these of 
participatory politics practices, but also making sure that that would be combined with deep ethical and moral reflection. Right? If, you know, anybody can start to mobilize people. The question is, what are you mobilizing people for? Is often at the core of facing history's work. And then also thinking about the role of teachers in schools, and this was really just kind of a finding out of uh, out of the work that we did about the the relationship between kind of getting kids to reflect and taking action. Because what we what we found is, you know, there's a, there's a, th there was a tension in terms of time. Right, and how much time people had in the classroom, and we'll get at this when we start to think about what do you need to do to support teachers. But uh, so, you know, the the quick overview of the project is that we recruited teachers that were in the Facing History and Ourselves network. They didn't they didn't have to be, um, but that's uh, but they were familiar with Facing History's framework, which I'm just going to show you y'all really quickly. I'm not going to go into this forever because I think it would uh, take too much time. But uh, tell me if. Can you all see that? The screen? Okay, so so there's kind of the, the, the facing history's resources are developed around a developmental arc that starts looking at the individual, starting to understand the way that groups start to understand each other, deep reflection on history, and then ultimately ending in stories of participation. At the same time, we're looking for resources that are really kind of a balancing intellectual rigor, ethical reflection, and emotional engagement. And so why, why that matters is because what we were trying to do is build, build a unit that would start to pick up at different stops along the way in that, in that scope and sequence. And so what we would do is there was the, the resources and the lessons highlighted st stories of moral and ethical choices that were both on a personal level, but also some that were grounded in history, and some were also engagement, uh, engaging on kind of larger social issues, all starting to get people to reflect on the on both the what's at stake in these choices, but also the practices that people are using to engage people, or sometimes not to engage people, where people are frozen as bystanders. And so there, it's a unit, and you'll see up on the website there's a, there are a couple of the sample lessons that are up there, and it was a, it was a really engaging uh, engaging unit for a lot of these teachers. But one of the challenges that we we just keep on thinking about is how do you balance uh, again deep reflection about particular areas so therefore when people start to participate they, they kind of know what they're doing right there there's there, there's some historical empathy you know when studying in the past because because I, I kind of one of the conceits of this project is if you study decisions that are made in the past you know far past or not so far past that you're better prepared to think about your uh, your choices today and what we found is that you know as you're starting to teach people to do that and teach people the practices, but there's a, a little bit of a challenge to make sure that there's enough time to allow people to create their own student-led participation projects. And it raises a really interesting question for us as educators. Where do we want to balance our time? You know, on the student participation or actually helping young people think about building the democratic habits that they need to participate? So I'll stop there and I can pick up more later. Great. Thank you, Adam. Um, let's turn it over to Sangeeta next. Thanks, Erica. My name is Sangeeta Shrestova, and I'm the um, director of the Henry Jenkins Media Activism and Participatory Politics Project based at the University of Southern California. Um, the project that, I, that our team worked on for our EPP actually grew out of MAPS, that's our acronym, out of MAPS previous work, which was research-based and looked at several youth communities that really exemplified what we thought were 
really notable practices that bridge between cultural and culture and politics, and um, also bridged and also tap digital media in creative ways. So the, the project was very extensive in its research and came up where the book is, I have to do a little bit of a plug, <laughs> the book is coming out in a month. Um, but as we were moving through our analysis, we realized that we really had a almost a treasure trove of examples of what of work that youth had done, mostly out of school contexts, and that we were constantly being asked to share these examples, to put them in dialogue with each other, to surface other examples, to share examples that we hadn't even come up with, but that other people were sharing with us. And so we ended up building a resource that's going to live alongside the book as it comes out. The resource is. Um, by anymedia.org. It's now available prior to the book coming out, so people are welcome to go out and visit it. Um, and as we did that, we realized that this could potentially be really useful for educators. So this, we kind of came around to working with educators from the outside, because we started working with youth through their projects, not projects that were initiated at schools. But um, we really did find that educators found a lot of uh, resonance with their work, and the project we did for EPP was actually was a close partnership with the National Writing Project, so it's all in, at home in the sense that this um, workshop, this webinar is being hosted by NWP, where we brought our resource to educators and asked them to find in it what worked for them. So we really were starting to build from ground up a, an approach that would help educators use byanymedia.org in their classrooms. Um, so what we ended up with were a series of lesson plans that um, educators come up with, which again serve as exemplars for other educators who would maybe like to go into what we call BAM, by any media, um, who would like to go into BAM to find materials that would resonate for them. Um, what I will say as a surprising learning for us was um, the breadth of subject matters that, that the teachers and educators found worked. Uh, we initially had thought that it would really resonate well for teachers who teach writing, who teach media maybe, certainly civics because there's a civics focus clearly, but what we were really surprised about was that we had music teachers who found resonance with the material, that there were science teachers who were able to find material that they were able to draw on. And what this really highlighted for us was the ways in which all subjects, if I can make dare say, are being impacted by the changing practices that youth are experiencing um, and that digital media is maybe supporting. And that many teachers, even though their subject matter may not be civics or media, are actually finding that they have to somehow touch upon um, these topics in their teaching. And that we are really well positioned to give them resources or help them as they think through how they're going to do this. Great. Thank you, Sangeeta. And Alan. Thanks a bunch. Uh, hi, I'm Alan Linton. I'm a PhD student in political science at the University of Chicago. And I work with Kathy Cohen on the Black Youth Project New Media Research Team. Uh, for educating for participatory politics, a mouthful for sure. Uh, our project partnered with Chicago Public Schools and in particular the Global Citizenship Initiative to help support and run some modules in their civic education curriculum focused on bringing digital media into the civic education space. 
So we based this on three general ideas. One was digital media introduction, so learning about online sources of information, how to process this info, identify trustworthy sources and bias. Once you have that groundwork, going and thinking about the electoral process, so uh, certainly relevant this year, but also in non-presidential years, learning about the issues and the campaigns and the roles of uh, different different spaces and how to get involved and be active and understand what happens in the electoral space. And then three, center the conversation around policy issues. So this is the more action-oriented section, organizing around policy issues. Once you have the information, how do you present information, circulate information, and move towards action? We did this in five, initially five schools in Chicago, predominantly uh, in marginalized communities, communities of color, thinking about the ways that digital media can be used as a tool to highlight and lift up and support communities that, that traditionally have been marginalized and isolated from the political process. Uh, in addition to this, we helped run some teacher um, professional development over the summer and throughout this year to help close some of the skills and skills gaps and knowledge gaps around the different types of political issues, something I'm sure we'll talk about later on, and uh, work with some young people around how to build their voice and activism through a summer fellowship that focused on research skills, multimedia production, organizing, and presentation skills. When thinking about kind of all of this work and the work of the other projects, the one thing that I keep going back to that's most compelling is when you take away some of the barriers and you put civics on in terms that young people engage with, the level of interest and excitement about being involved and being active goes through the roof. So this means, you know, giving young people some idea and some license over what topics that they want to engage with when considering elections or policy issues or content. And so young people engaging with unemployment as an issue or the type of education policy going on in Chicago or policing in their communities. Once you frame those topics and then you move it to a space where it's thinking about social media and digital media not as something that is banned from the classroom, but as a potential place where there can be growth and engagement and voice and action. Young people, teachers, and community members all are very excited about the prospects of engaging with really tough conversations, but conversations that hadn't been happening with the same level of depth and energy uh, in prior prior years. And so those are kind of the exciting touch points for this type of project and work that we initially started with five schools, but it looks it's going to be expanding throughout um, Chicago Public Schools in the upcoming school year. Thank you, Alan, and thank you, everyone. I feel like you all brought up um, incredible points that I'm excited to talk more about, so we're going to dive in. Um, but thank you for giving everyone an overview and starting to sort of share some of the compelling pieces um, of each of your work and your team's work. I'd love to just jump right into the sort of meat of it and ask um, the question and have us spend a little time thinking about, we all know um, that teachers are juggling a ton um, in the day-to-day, -day, but also in the sort of broad spectrum of their work. and really thinking about, I think um, many of you touched on this, but Sangeeta, you were saying, you know, that teachers found lots of different ways to fit this into their work. 
And I think we all know that, you know, especially in thinking about teachers in the school day, there's often not a civics class. Um, or if there is a civics class, it's only one semester. Um, and there's often not a class that focuses particularly on media or digital literacy. So I'm wondering, you know, how did educators and teachers fit this into their work? What helped them sort of integrate this into what they were doing? What motivated them to integrate it in? And what obstacles and challenges did they come up with? What did they face um, in your experience? So I would love to jump into that. Um, if I, since you mentioned um, New York, I'll just kind of jump in there and maybe get the ball rolling. So what we found, um, we didn't create curricula unlike some of the other um, projects in here. So we actually had resources that had pieces of curricula that teachers could draw on, and we brought that to teachers. And I think we had positive experiences, um, partially probably because of the teachers who entered into the program, so they sort of self-selected, right? So they were teachers who felt that that could work for them. So what we found worked really well was that teachers could go in and already, they knew what they were already going to teach and they'll be speaking about that in a couple of weeks and so they were able to pick pieces of what worked and put it into what they were going to do anyway essentially. So for example there was a choir teacher who knew that she was going to sing song composition and then wanted that, those songs to be composed around a particular cause that resonated for the students. And so what she found particularly useful was going into our resource and finding a list of organizations that work with various issues and having the students research those and then write a song that would then be sent to one of those organizations, right? So that worked really well for her. Um, what we did find with some other educators is that they actually wanted more of a prepackaged ready-made curriculum piece. Um, and we didn't have that to offer them in, in effect. We did end up building a few more um, scaffolded pieces for that, but we did find that some teachers actually wanted a whole unit and others just already had the unit so preset that they actually wanted just little pieces that they could plug in. And so we found the full range was actually needed if you wanted to hit all the teachers. Um. Hi. So I mean, one of the things that that uh, in some ways the argument behind our project, if there is an argument behind the project, was that you can teach these skills in a traditional social studies class, right? I mean that that was that's what we were working on. Saying so, you know, first of all, if you're teaching a social studies class and you're not thinking about participatory politics, something's something's missing from that larger that larger material. Uh, but uh, but for for us, you know, the we knew that people weren't going to be necessarily teaching a civic selective. So we're going to try to find people entry points from the past. And again, and there's this argument, and I, and I really believe it, is that helping people think about issues of past and present actually informs participation today. You know, it gives you a lens, the, these, these categories, these practices, a lens to start to look at civic participation in the past. So, you know, last, what was it, the year we were doing this project, the year Selma came out the film Selma, and you can start to think about, right, what, 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 what were the uh, activists in Selma doing, the folks at SCLC, what are the folks at SNCC using here? And uh, so, so helping being intentional using this as a framework to look at something that they're supposed to be doing anyway. If I could just jump in on that, that point. One of the more amazing things that we ran into was there was plenty of excitement and energy and involvement from our teachers, but there was a difficulty in connecting to the issues of the day. So we had some folks that 
um, self-selected in because of the nature of the program. There were civics teachers, but others were from history classes, like Adam described, and they didn't know how to connect what was happening today around Black Lives Matter and some of the kind of organizing, let alone talk about this in the context of a complicated election with a number of issues. And so we ran into some teachers that were very comfortable with understanding and knowing and had great depth on the topics, but didn't have the, the necessary kind of sit, you know, do new media and digital skills to you know engage young people in those spaces and and spoke often of young people being more of the expert in those spaces and vice versa and so there was no lack of enthusiasm among our teachers for wanting to do this and wanting to try it as something that would would speak better to communicating the types of issues of the day the difficulty was we had some teachers that were in different places and it really put the onus on us after going out and sitting in the classrooms and talking to teachers about what what do they need and some teachers said hey I need a primer on you know how to be active on various forms of social media so that when I give young people some guidance that they can take it but also listening to young people because they do know more about what's happening in some of these spaces and for other folks it was can you put us in front of a group of activists? Can you put us in front of a, a group of young people organizing and have them explain what they're doing, what they're engaging, what motivates them? Because if you put it all together, then you can have teachers functioning as a resource for themselves and others that want to try to do this in ways that one or two people on our end could never reach as many folks. Um. I'm interested sort of in building on something you were mentioning there, Alan, just because um, one of the challenges that I see uh, working with t with teachers, and this is also potentially because I work on a, on a district level initiative, um, and so we're really trying to work with everybody in our system. And you know, when you put Black Lives Matter, when you put race on the table, and you say, or even if you just open the conversation to students to say, what are you interested in? You know, developmentally. Um, you know, this is a time in, you know, high school is a time in, in young people's lives where I think identity and community, as um, Adam was mentioning, are incredibly important. So they're trying to understand group membership. What does it mean to be um, black? What does it mean to be Asian, Latino? What does my race identity um, have to do with my political engagement? And so the challenge that sometimes I, I face around that work is that um, the, the adults are actually not well equipped to have those conversations and I wonder if any of you all have experienced just like a willingness to turn things over to students um, in addition to being like a fear of losing control of your classroom also just like that the students might actually push the conversation in directions that you as the adult or the teachers as the adults might not necessarily be comfortable going um, and you know that's been um, you know, something that I've seen happen uh, in our project in, in, in different ways, and I'm just wondering if others have, have, have experienced that. And one of the things that I think is so important, right, is I think all of us, or any of us, starting to look at this digital civics workers, it's about balancing the technology, but also the conversation, right, and are we prepared for the conversation, right? And so Facing History's professional development model has always feels it's really important to have teachers engage in these in these questions and these issues themselves. So when you're thinking about issues of race, when you're thinking about issues of, of identity, have we had educators start to think about their own 
response to those issues, right, and, and think through those ideas. Because if kids start bringing it up and teachers haven't developed that comfort level with that conversation, too often important conversations get shut down because we're nervous about what's, what's going to start to happen and we, we might not be able to control it. And yet at the other end, you have teachers who are sometimes just so nervous about the platforms, right, that they're like, they're ready to have that conversation but aren't ready to talk about it in a digital space. So, I mean, one of the, we talked to teachers a lot about uh, what, literally, what discussion forum that they were going to be using and helping people understand that technically. And, of course, we all know that that's going to change next year. Whatever they used last year, it's going to be a new one, and it's going to be a better one next year. So, so how do we balance that, you know, emotional engagement for the teachers and then, then the technical proficiency? And I think you all both were saying that. I think um, you all brought up, you know, some really very different but also very similar things that make me think a lot about in this work you know, how do we create time and space for educators? So not only how do we create time and space for educators to think about and talk with each other about the issues of the day, how do we create time and space for educators to think about identity development of their students, but also their own identity and how that impacts um, their positionality as a teacher. Um, and then also the digital side of it, you know, how do we create time and space for educators to explore and learn digital tools um, and also just have that kind of dispositional um, stance of being open to consistently learn because I think as Adam as you said you know these tools are going to change and as Alan said these issues are going to change it's not always going to be the same issues it's not always going to be the same tools and you know how do we support educators to really be treated as professionals and also have that time and space to really learn themselves and to engage with with their colleagues around some of these issues so that once they are you know with their students in the classroom they can engage in an authentic conversation they can engage in an authentic process of exploring a tool um, or a platform and really thinking about how does how do we you know, connect the skills and the practices to the content and the issues and the ideas and the conversation. So I, I would love to hear more because um, I think one of the really um, powerful things about this project and what I have learned, I have learned so much from all of us being in conversation with each other because each of us is in a different context and we, we all went about working with educators in such different ways. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what worked well or what was challenging creating that time and space for educators. So whether it be around the digital side of things, whether it be around them thinking about their own um, identity, issues of race, issues of social justice, whether it be about um, you know, having controversial conversations, um, how did you create that time and space and how did you, you know, create an environment for teachers where they really felt like they could take those risks? Can I just add third one to that conversation, Erica? Because I think you laid out like, okay, there's the identity development piece and there's the digital tools, but I also think that another area where we have to support teachers, particularly when we're talking about uh, these EPP practices, um, is if we think about mobilization, there are not many of our teachers come to teaching with a background as community organizers as, or as folks who use online tools to mobilize <laughs> around civic issues. and or political issues and so I think um, you know in the same way that we have to think about how we support 
um, pedagogically uh, teachers with these other with these other elements. If we're talking about civics, if we're talking about civic action. Um, how do we also give teachers the opportunity to explore their own identities as civic actors, um, and and their role within you know particularly when we're trying to expand their conception of of um, civic or political participation beyond voting and serving on a jury, you know, what are those other practices that we can expose them to through the professional learning spaces so that they, they begin to think more expansively about what, what civic engagement or civic action in the digital age even means. Can I just pick up on that really quickly? I mean, one of, one of the things I'm really, all, I'm always interested in is how, is how can we get educators to think about themselves as educators, you know. So yes, you want them to bring, you want them to bring, you know, their own experiences in, in the room. But they're also educators. And they're also educating a diverse group of students who are going to have their own, their own politics, right? And their own, their own ideas. And they're also teaching in school districts and you know schools. Uh, there's a different role between being an activist and being an educator. So you know, how do we, how do we also help educators practice thinking about both their own limits? what they should be doing in terms of participatory politics in the classroom. Does that make sense what I'm, what I'm saying here? I'm not sharp. I was in a red eye last night, so be kind to me. <laughs> it's also late there, right? We're all functioning yeah, at different it's, time it's, zones. It's the, it's the red eye, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, the flip question to, to what Adam was asking would actually be, well, he was asking about the limit. I mean, where's the boundary? And I actually would, what we saw were activists turned educators quite a lot. So um, people who were coming from the field of social justice or who were used to affecting change but also wanted to translate that into learning. And so we were actually seeing the other side of that. Um, so the other piece of that would be, well, where does, where, where is it about education and what is it actually about furthering a cause? Because I've also seen in some cases where learning's happening along the way, right? But that's actually it's it's the campaign that's actually what's driving the participation. So not yeah, to have, I don't have an answer, but that's what I was meaning to say, by the way. That's it's exactly that issue. Sankita really brought up something that we saw as well, just from from educators that had some prior experience but, you know, didn't know how to connect the issues that they were very passionate about or the issues that they cared about with the issues of the day or the issues that young people may be engaging or asking questions about. And so for us, one of the things that we we probably underestimated was how much time uh, we need to give teachers with the actual curriculum and allow them to use and finesse and edit it on their own. So we, we put this thing out, we rushed, tried to pilot it to make sure we got it into the field uh, a couple of years ago. And teachers didn't feel like they had enough time, but over the summer, actually doing some of the lessons themselves, we started to get the questions that we needed. Like, hey, you know, there are a lot of different, you know, lessons here of policy issues and organizing. Can we talk to a community organizer today? Someone that is that maybe went to some of the same high schools that the that they currently teach at that are addressing some of the issues that young people expressed wanting uh, to engage with as a part of the lesson because they needed to get a sense of how are people talking about this? What is the language that they're using? Where are they going to organize? What, what is the groundwork that's happening? 
uh, as a as an entire skill set. So they they felt comfortable, and I think there was some expression of of, of wanting to engage in this for folks that had prior previously engaged in these types of topics. And so for us, it was a matter of you know we needed to give teachers more time to explore and create and put their own personal touch at their school because some schools we worked at worked at were tech heavy computers laptops and other classrooms and others were not but what, what to close that gap was the matter of giving the teacher the tool of our curriculum that they help write and support and think about here's what it looks like on the north side for this community here's what it looks like on the west side for this community and allowing that kind of flexibility so that we weren't assuming that the, you know we knew what they needed to have they could come back to us and we could try to plug in the gaps but it's unbelievably hard with limited PD time or limited time to engage but getting the material as quickly as possible to teachers to tinker and edit was something that was really really quite compelling and helpful on our end I want to just um, pause for a second and see if anyone has anything else to add on that question. I realize we put out this huge question, and then we have some questions that are coming through um, on the Twitter chat. And for other folks that are watching live, please feel free to um, add in your questions, and we um, will start to grapple with those. But just want to make sure that um, if anyone else wanted to add anything about how you create time and space for teacher to, teachers to grapple with all of these things, I want to give people a chance to address that. Yeah, Erica, just on the um, on the teacher, on the platform question, because there was a question around digital proficiency, and um, what we found, well, what we found our activists working through was what we, what the title of our book, which is By Any Media Necessary, um, and we found that was actually really helpful in our work with educators, and um, helped us sort of lower the bar around expectations and uh, lower the anxiety levels about knowing certain things. And we sort of said, is by any media necessary, it's whatever you're good at. Um, it's also an, use it as an approach in your classroom and also allow the students to find their own media that works for them. So focus more on the content, on the substance, on the audience, less on the platform, right? So it doesn't have to be Twitter. It doesn't have to be Facebook. It doesn't have to be Snapchat. It's about what's helping, how are you going to get to know your audience? How are you going to be able to get your message out? And we found that that actually really helped a lot um, in addressing that question around um, platform and digital abilities. Yeah. So this is related to that. I mean, one of the, one of the things I think that young, that young people are starting to learn when they start to look at a social issue or, or, or I think all of us could learn, forget just young people, is starting to understand actually how do you match the tools that you're using versus kind of the, this is a concept Martha Minow as the Dean of Harvard Law School has been talking about, with the levers of power that you're trying to pull. So let's say you think about a social issue. How do, you know, and I, let's say that this is something that's being done at one level. So what are the right tools to move the person up there versus the tools to get other people mobilized who might join you in trying to leverage that person. And I think that there's a, it's a real challenge, I think, for a lot of us when we start to look at a social issue. It can feel deep and overwhelming, and I don't know where to pull. So I think the, the conversation about which tool is really important, but it's also which tool versus what, what's the change you're trying to affect and where, where, where that is. 
This is great. I want to just add in this question, which you all are addressing, but just to highlight, because I think this is a fabulous question that we've gotten from the Twitter chat, which is, you know, what do you, what do you all think about educators engaging students on social media platforms or using social media tools that they already naturally use? So the example with Snapchat. So what do you think about educators um, kind of pulling that into the classroom and using it, you know, pivoting that towards civic and political ends? It's a question, I think it's a great question. It's a question that, that we've grappled with in, in different spaces uh, in, in Chicago. Generally, when you have the infrastructure out there to understand what this tool is, we had very compelling and very powerful results in terms of getting student buy-in and student commitment over the long term to what's happening, at, usually around the lesson or the issue that they're addressing. So, you know, one of the one of the good points that was that was brought up was this content versus platform thing. It was not simply enough to keep students interested by saying, hey, we're going to go to the computer lab more often, or um, we're going to be using our phones in the classroom. You know, that, if it was just that, that kind of you know, faded over time. There was something special, and it gets back, I think, to your point, Erica, about the kind of gap between how much do you let go in terms of control and engaging students on their space. It gives them some sense that they're being heard in, in the classroom, that their expertise that their level of comfort means something to the educational experience, to their growth as people engaging the topic, and that ultimately this is a learning experience for everyone. So in this conversation around the, the principles that we have, you know, the idea of dialogue and feedback, uh, production and circulation, that these are kind of two-way streets, and to replicate that in the classroom space where students are comfortable allows a bit of vulnerability on the educator's part, without question, but an element of engagement and commitment that students can feel like, hey, this isn't just I have to sit here and do an assignment. I'm actually doing something that's, you know, that's worthwhile in a space that I'm comfortable with. In the same vein that you know, there are some young people that may not feel very comfortable in the classroom space doing an in-class presentation. So it's that push and pull that, that we've experienced, but generally Snapchat or Vine or Instagram, most of these now more kind of video-based organizing platforms that young people are using, mobile-based on their phones, those are the spaces that are getting a great deal of reception and feedback that's very positive, and it's now kind of fine-tuning that to the, the broader lessons that we're trying to get out of thinking about where, how you can leverage those tools for action, engagement. Uh, and, and participation uh, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to add to that that I think, um, you know, one thing that we see in um, research that's really looking at, um, you know, how teachers and educators are using um, different platforms, and I would say that some of this research is focused specifically on blogging, um, that for many students, assignments um, that are, you know, in the classroom where teachers are trying to bring in online dialogue and talking about social issues, that for students, if the assignment itself is not connected to an audience, that for many of them it feels like any assignment. So even if the tool might be Tumblr that they use for other purposes in their, um, you know, outside of school, that 
in school, if you're using that same platform and it's not connected to an authentic audience or connected to a broader, um, you know, conversation, then I think for students it doesn't, you know, the engagement doesn't hold up for them. And so we've seen that in a lot of research. And so, and this is what I think Peter Levine calls the audience problem, right? So, you know, I think that what I would say on the same, in the same vein is that we want to set students up to connect to an authentic audience and we want to set um, realistic expectations of also action, so not just sort of dialogue, but also, you know, how do we connect students to these broader um, movements that are already happening and organizing that's happening in their community so that it, it feels connected to something in a more sustainable way. And at the same time, I would say, you know, in the same vein, we don't want to set students up to feel like, um, you know, if they put their voice out there and they're expressing themselves and they have, you know, one comment, say they're blogging and they have one comment, we don't want to say that then it doesn't count, right? Because they don't have a hundred comments or it isn't circulated to an audience of 2,000. I think, you know, all of these sort of um, entry points are really significant, I think, for young people in, um, you know, getting their voices out there and taking steps towards action and reflecting on these issues together with their peers. So I think that there's sort of a spectrum of we want to set students up to connect to an authentic audience and at the same time be a realistic and understand that entry points are significant no matter how big or small. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, would be really interesting for us to think about is just some of the challenges and um, not only for educators and how do they support young people around the sort of afterlife, as Lissa Soap has um, framed it, the sort of afterlife of this um, content that goes up online. And also some of the risks and challenges. And Sangeeta, this is, um, you know, I think you can speak to this in your research around, you know, young people being monitored and surveillance of content that goes up online. How does this um, impact young people when they're putting themselves out there? Um, for various different reasons, either, you know, what impact does that have on them based on their identity, based on their politics, um, based on their futures. And so I think, you know, it would be interesting to maybe think for a few minutes about, and we're getting close to time, but just how do educators support young people around some of these challenges of the digital age? And, you know, a lot of the research has shown that if, you know, if young people don't have supports around this or if they are fearing backlash, the Good Participation Project team has done some research around this, that many young people will silence or quiet their expression over time if they, um, you know, in, in anticipation of backlash or anticipation of some of these consequences. So um, would love to just spend a minute thinking about how educators deal with this and support young people. So I'll, I'll just share an example uh, which I think relates to both the earlier point and, and the point that you're making now, Erica. And uh, we have a group of educators this year that are meeting around uh, blogging and trying to get their students to blog. And one of the things that they, uh, or some of them have done more intentionally to protect students from like the random comments that they might come across online is, uh, is to use a more protected platform. And so a, a number of the teachers are on youthvoices.net, which is uh, actually started by National Writing Project teachers. Imagine that. Um, and so students get online and they're in a community of other students um, and other e and educators. So the comments that they're getting are are um, in in many ways sort of being pre um, uh, curated. Well, they're not curated, but they're they're the the students are 
uh, brought into a, a culture online of how to participate in that space so it's not just anybody coming in and commenting and so I think it's, it provides a safer venue uh, but what's also interesting is that in this blogging group they found that um, even students who were posting things in youth voices weren't getting um, comments and so they engineered um, over the last couple months uh, a common theme that all the teachers were going to write about, or all the students were going to write about, and then they shared each other's. The teachers shared the students' blog addresses with each other, so that you know they could assign. You know, hey, you need to go read this person's blog and comment. Uh, and so, you know, the students were starting to get comments from students in Oakland from a different school, but it was like super exciting for them because, like, oh, hey, they're getting comments, and um, and so it was a way to both like. Uh, address this issue of safety but also to uh, encourage the students uh, because they were engaging with an authentic audience even though it was behind the scenes you know engineered by the teachers uh, to make it happen. So what we did um, on the MAP project is that we developed a framework um, through which teachers could explore the public-private kind of dichotomy and do so and do so in a way that doesn't you know try to keep people safe necessarily or urge them to take everything and make it public and to really think that everything is public today so really to get much more nuanced about what to, what what does privacy mean in the digital age what is it what is the power and the um, the challenge of, of going public with issues and so we really work to introduce concepts like context collapse understanding what audiences be, may see your stuff even though you didn't envision that and to really think about that and weigh the risks and the benefits of, of what you're going to put out in that context so I think there is no unfortunately there's no clear answer right there's no black like, there's no yes no there's no checklist that you can go through but we were trying to go go develop a series of decisions that young people can go through as they consider the, the whether or not to post and how to post Just the one thing that Facing History has learned over the years is it's so important to help isolate those choices that people are making that they may not even realize that they're making. Right. So I think it, the, that's so important. And in, in the and uh, your example of having the teachers of Oakland uh, start to you know just share and comment. You know, people sometimes are just missing good best practice in the digital world. So building you know helping people understand what might be some good norms. You know, and I think that's true for a face-to-face -face conversation, but it's also true for these digital conversations. And so, just helping people have that safety and saying, "This is this is what a good best practice looks like." So, this is how we're going to start to model a civil conversation online, as compared to some of what we're seeing in the larger political world, maybe sometimes. Alan, I want to give you a chance to share any final thoughts, since each person's had a chance to say one last thing. Great, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think one of, one of the more one of the big things that we've seen, and I think it's something to keep in mind, is that these tools are new, and understanding them may be difficult. But we shouldn't get away. And one of the things that the educators really pushed us on was making sure we don't get away from kind of fundamental things that happen in the classroom that can apply both online and offline. So. Even with the you know the previous comments about modeling uh, you know what type of space that we're going to to have and starting off in the classroom you know getting getting
getting young people to comment on each other's blogs if they go down that route, and you know, making sure the comments are substantive and 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 positive, but you know, critical in a way that's supportive and and building that comfort. But you know, in terms of kind of big picture final thoughts, overwhelmingly, getting to the teachers. You know, I don't do curriculum writing. Kathy doesn't do curriculum writing. It was getting to the teachers and understanding what are the spaces that we're about to get into in terms of educators' needs, educators' limitations on time, um, and you know they're experts in their own classrooms, they're experts in their own schools, and using that expertise to craft some supports around what they know and already do. In the same vein that we're trying to build curriculum, at least with our project, around what young people know and what they care about, those are some of the lessons that can really shape. Um, this type of work, and for those you know folks thinking about doing this outside of the civic space or wanted to, you know doing this in different areas, getting to where the audience is that you're looking to engage the most, and asking them and being asking them to be a part of the process of developing uh, you know the types of tools that they're going to be using is is invaluable and makes everything that much easier because they had an input from the get go. Thank you. Well, I really just want to say, you know, how fabulous it's been to have this conversation. I can't believe that it's already five. I have no doubt we could go on for another hour. <laughs> um, so just want to thank you all for sharing your thoughts and your lessons learned and the questions that we're all still grappling with. Um, I think as one of you said, you know, there's no easy answers for this. Um, and so I just want to say this wraps up our first webinar for our series in March on redesigning civic education for the digital age. And I do hope that people will keep the energy up on Twitter. So please you know, keep the questions coming, the thoughts. Um, and the hashtags that you can use are connected learning and also digital civics. And there will be a full video recording of this webinar available immediately after on connectedlearning.tv. Um, with other curated content and some of the links that we've all uh, also been highlighting. So please check that out. Um, and if you found this conversation helpful, please share with your networks. And um, please also look at the upcoming webinars um, for the rest of this month on Connected Learning TV. And um, those will be highlighted on the National Writing Project's Educator Innovator site and also on Connected Learning TV. So. I want to thank everyone again for the conversation and we look forward to more conversations the rest of this month.